Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 1. John chapter 1 in your Bibles this morning. Hope you had a good week this week. It's wonderful to gather together today on a cold Sunday. Glad it's warm in here. Glad it's warm in here. I remember uh, years ago, Cindy and I were traveling. We were in New England. I want to say we were in the main area of our country, and this particular church I was preaching in had an outhouse. This is in my lifetime. And uh, we had a singing group with us, and I had to tell them, if, the pastor told me, if they, you need to use a restroom, it's out in back there, there's a building there, and that's where you go. And I laughed. He said, no, I'm serious. I said, okay, I can hold it. All right. The Gospel of John chapter 1 is where we're at. We've been looking at this wonderful message, this wonderful account penned down by the Apostle John. And he was the, remember, the youngest of the Apostles. He also is the one who outlived the others. And at this point in his life, all of the other Apostles have passed away. They've gone home to be with the Lord. He's in Ephesus. He's penning down these words And he's remembering back to what had happened. He's remembering back very specifically, very vividly, to when he was first introduced to Jesus Christ. I love the song that Pastor Toman just sang, how appropriate, leading into the message this morning. Uh, Jesus Christ is the rock. He is the cornerstone of our salvation. He is the Word, the living Word, the revelation, the message, in a person, of God to mankind. And uh, without Jesus Christ, there would be no salvation. And we're going to see here this morning, as John was recounting in his mind as an old man there in Ephesus, of when he was very first introduced to Jesus Christ. Uh, And I, I would like to encourage you, do you remember the very first time that you were introduced to Jesus Christ? Do you remember that day? Uh, when you were first introduced to him. Not necessarily the day of your salvation, but uh, do you remember when you were first introduced to him? Most likely, you remember very vividly when you received him as your personal Savior. Because really, up until that day when you believed upon him, he was just another name. But when you believed upon him for your salvation, it was that day that you came to realize that he was and is eternal God of heaven and earth and the Savior of mankind. I can remember that day for me in 1984, five years of age. And I don't remember the first times that my parents taught me about Jesus, but I remember that day because it was that day that I fell in love with Jesus Christ because I came to know him as my personal Savior. And I realized that day that he alone could save me from my sins, but that he had come to die on the cross to save me, that he had loved me. As a five-year-old boy, my response to his love for me was to receive him as my personal Savior. Last week, we were looking here in John chapter 1, we were looking at a very special man by the name of John the Baptist, and uh, as I told you last week, God himself had commissioned John the Baptist, and John the Baptist's objective, his objective was to bear witness of the light. Remember, A witness doesn't talk about himself. He talks about what he has witnessed, what he has experienced. And that is what John the Baptist did. 
And then also we noticed last week that John the Baptist had a message. And that message was that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the Lamb of God who was going to take away the sin of the world. And so John the Baptist had been commissioned by God to bear witness of the light and to identify Jesus as the Messiah. He had to be identified. And we talked about last week and we saw from our text that there was a point in John the Baptist's life where he didn't even know who the Messiah was himself. It wasn't like John the Baptist was born into the world and he knew right away who the Messiah was. No, he went about baptizing in obedience to God's command and God's commission in his life, and he was preaching repentance and preaching against sin and preaching that the Messiah, the promised one of Israel, was going to come and people needed to make themselves ready for his coming. And as he was doing the will of God, God revealed the Messiah or identified the Messiah for John the Baptist. And then John the Baptist was able to look at him discerningly and say, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And I, I will not go back and look over the scripture again, but I cannot emphasize enough how important it is for you and for me to be doing what we know to do and trusting that God will reveal and provide for us as we do what we know we ought to do. Sometimes we want to know the future. We want it all mapped out. We want a surefire guarantee that it's all going to be perfect. And after we get that, then we'll start doing what we ought to do now. And that's not the way it works. That's not faith. You and I, no matter what the trials of life may bring, no matter how bleak the future may look or may, how, how glorious the future may look, you and I need to be faithful in the little things of life. John the Baptist was faithful, and God blessed him. So John was a Baptist, or he was a, he was a baptizer. Uh, he was a baptizer, and, uh, and John was a witness. That's what he was. He was a witness. And uh, he was popular in his day, and he was also hated in his day. And do you remember how the, 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 the uh, Sanhedrin sent a group of men to check him out? Why are you baptizing? Who are you? Are you Elijah? You're, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? They wanted to know who he thought he was. John the Baptist knew who he was. He was just a voice. He was just a voice. And uh, crying in the wilderness. It was just a voice identifying the Messiah for who he was. You know, you and I have been called to this as well. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, Jesus speaking to his apostles, he said, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And this morning, I want, to see, I want to see some of the fruit of John the Baptist's testimony. We looked at last week that he had a faithful testimony. He wasn't trying to start a movement. He wasn't trying to draw people to himself. That is what so much of our society is about today. How many followers can I get? A lot of it comes back to me, us, as individuals. We want to be seen. We want to be valued. We want people to like us. It's, and even in our social media, we see it. We want to be liked. How many likes do you have? How many followers do you have? It it, it's just so very obvious, even. 
and I'm not preaching against social media, okay? But self-centeredness ought to be preached against, and, and John the Baptist was not self-centered. It was not about him. It was about his Messiah. Uh, let's look at our text, John chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 35. John chapter 1 and verse 35, and I'm going to read down through verse 51. I want you to get a, a sense of the flow. Remember again, John, the Apostle John, is an older man at this point in his life. Um, Jesus had died 50 years earlier on the cross or so. We don't know the exact date of the, of the penning down of the Gospel of John. But he's an older man at this time in his life, and he's remembering back to this event, these days that he's talking about. Look at verse 35. He says again, in verse 35, The next day, after John the Baptist stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, John the Baptist saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where, where dwellest thou? And he saith unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day. And it was about the tenth hour, about ten a.m. And one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first that is, Andrew first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. And the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee, and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip saith unto him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile or deception. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, which was normally known as a place of meditation, study, reflection, Jesus says, While you were there, while you were there thinking those thoughts that were so private to you, I saw thee. In other words, Jesus was saying to him, I know your thoughts. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Let's pray together. Dearly Father, help us, I pray, as we look at your word and we study it. Thank you for the warmth of this building. Thank you for a time where we can come apart from the busyness of our week and the stress that may be in some of our lives. Father, I pray 
that we would know you as our Savior and the Lord of our lives. Father, thank you for the day when we believed upon you for the salvation of our souls. Thank you for saving us, Lord. Thank you for seeking us. And Father, I pray this morning that your word would go forth in the power of your spirit. Lord, I am weak. I cannot deliver this, these truths without your help, so I ask for your help. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, John here, the Apostle John, it, it can be confusing, can it? I'm talking about John and then John the Baptist, uh, but it's important that we keep them distinctly different. The Apostle John, he's an older man, and he's, and he's uh, remembering the day when he first received the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a long way from home when he's penning this down. Uh, he would have been from this region, the area of Galilee. When he's penning this down, he's in Ephesus. And he's remembering all the way back to those days when God was revealed to him in human flesh, in the person called Jesus of Nazareth, of all places, Nazareth. And we'll talk about that a little bit later as we go along. Of course, John, as he's remembering these days, he's worked his way along through these days. On the first day, you remember, uh, let's see here, uh, John the Baptist was uh, being questioned by the Pharisees on day one, and John the Baptist's message was, he is here, he's in your midst. And then on day two, you see there in verse 29, John the Baptist's message was, look to him, as he said, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And John the Baptist was preaching to a mass of people. And then, as John recalls these early days in his, in his uh, spiritual life, he comes to the third day, and uh, on the third day, here we have John the Baptist telling John, one of his disciples, and Andrew, another one of his disciples, basically to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus. Look, look with me, if you would, at the direct result of John the Baptist's testimony. I just read over it briefly earlier, but look at verse, back to verse 35. Verse 35, it says, Again, the next day, this would be the third day, after John the Baptist stood and two of his disciples. Now, those two disciples were John, the, the beloved of, of Jesus, and Andrew. And they're identified here as disciples of John the Baptist. They were learners of John the Baptist. They were followers of John the Baptist. This is interesting. Look at verse 36. Now, and John, and John the Baptist in verse 36, looking upon Jesus, and that word looking has the idea of a fixed gaze or a penetrating gaze. And I talked about this last week. John the Baptist looking upon Jesus as he, Jesus, walked. John the Baptist saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the message John the Baptist was giving to his disciples was, the Lamb of God, follow him. In other words, don't follow me. Follow him. And I know this was John the Baptist's message by the next verse. Look at verse number 37. And I have written in my Bible, this is my goal for my life. Verse 37. And the two disciples heard him speak. And they followed Jesus. 
That's the goal. I've never seen this before this way until this week of study in my life. But I wrote down in my Bible, this is my goal. People would hear me speak, and they would follow Jesus Christ. I've thought about it in the context of my family. And my children would hear me speak to them. They would watch me and observe my life, that they would follow Jesus Christ. It should be the case for my wife. You know, I think of you, and it ought to be the case for you as well, that people would hear us speak, that they would follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not, we've not been called to heap to ourselves followers of ourselves, who laud and applaud us, who admire us, who like us, who follow us. That's not the goal. The goal for a child of God is to be a witness of God's greatness and his goodness and his power in our lives. We are to, to know the truth and to speak the truth. And the goal is that people would hear us speak the truth and that they themselves would follow the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a teacher here within the ministry of Trinity Baptist Church, whether adults or children, this is your goal. That you would speak the message of God and that people would follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I think, I think the significance, and we talked about John's, John the Baptist's faithfulness to delivering the testimony last week, but I think the significance of John the Baptist's testimony is summarized in these two statements in verse 37. They heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. They heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And every one of us have been commissioned to this. Now, there are three elements of our salvation, or of salvation in general, I think, that are seen in the verses that we've already read this morning. And I want to notice, first of all, that I noticed that there, are, there is a soul seeking truth. There is a soul seeking truth. Now, I'm going to give a statement right up front. Nobody seeks the truth except God is seeking them, okay? And thankfully, and we'll mention this later, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so, by his revelation, as we've seen in Romans chapter 1, and by the word of God, and by the spirit of God, God is seeking to save souls, okay? But the reality is, and I can't help but noticing it in our text, that there, for a person to be saved, they have to be receptive to some degree to the truth that God is giving to them. And so I notice, first of all, there is a soul seeking truth. Now, John and Andrew had already been receiving the message of John the Baptist. They'd been hearing him preach. And, of course, he'd been preaching repent. And he'd been preaching against sin. He'd been preaching that they should prepare themselves for the coming of the Messiah. And John, the, the beloved of Jesus Christ, and who is known as that, and Andrew, these two men, they had been very receptive to John the Baptist preaching, to the truth that John the Baptist had been preaching. And I would ask you, are you receptive to the truth? Are you receptive to it? Or are you a lover of darkness? Is the truth truth repulsive to you? I'm not asking if you line up with me on everything that I say. I'm not asking if you can quote great portions of the Bible or if that you 
even this morning, believe everything that the Bible says. I'm not asking you that. I'm asking you, are you receptive to the truth, to the light that God is shedding upon your heart by his grace? Are you receptive to that? John the Baptist had been preaching the truth, and John and Andrew had been, rece- had been receiving the truth. And again, the, the reality of life is this. As you are receptive to truth, God will reveal more truth to you. As you receive the light, God will give you more light. But if you're going to reject the light, then you can expect that he will not give you more light. Look at verse number 38. Because now, of course, in verse 37, they begin to follow Jesus as John the Baptist had identified him as the Messiah, and specifically as the Lamb of God, as a sacrificial lamb for the nation of Israel. And now in verse 38... John and Andrew begin to follow Jesus. It says in verse 38, Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is saying, is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? So Jesus turns around, they're following him at a distance, and Jesus asked them, What seek ye? Or we could say this way, What are you searching for? Now keep in mind that there are two of them here. And one of the two who heard John speak had followed him was Andrew, and the other one was John. Andrew was Simon Peter's brother. The other one is not named in our text, and that is not unusual. Uh, In fact, John, the penman of the book of John, the gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation, I, I think he names himself once or identifies himself once. He just doesn't name himself. Uh, He's going to remember the others. He's not going to highlight himself as he's penning down these words. And so he's unnamed, and it's a good indication that it is John because he doesn't name himself. In John, in chapter 13 and verse 23, John calls himself the disciple who leaned on Jesus and whom Jesus loved. John then did refer to himself several other times in in the book of John, in chapter 19, in chapter 20, in chapter 21. John's the penman. He's, he, he's humble, and he just kind of fades out of the story. He's not going to make himself the main character of the story. And so in verse 38, John and Andrew are following Jesus, and Jesus turns and says, What do you seek? Or, What's your motivation? What are you looking for? What do you want from me? Uh, they knew John the Baptist had identified Jesus as the Messiah, John the Baptist had identified Jesus in a biblical way, and this is interesting, a very biblical way, as the Lamb of God. John the Baptist didn't identify Jesus as the reigning king, although someday he will rule and reign for all of eternity. John the Baptist identified Jesus as the Lamb of God. Um, He initially, Jesus initially came as a lamb, He came as a sacrifice for sins, and they have been listening and receiving John the Baptist's message of sin and repentance, and they are are disciples of John the Baptist. Now, keep in mind, John the Baptist has been preaching for months, month after month after month he's been preaching, and he hasn't just been saying the same thing over and over again. Uh, I think some people have the idea that John the Baptist only said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. That wasn't his only message. He would have been preaching the Messiah in the true biblical sense, perhaps in light of Isaiah chapter 53, as a suffering Messiah, someone who's going to come. And I think John the Baptist had a good 
uh, comprehension of the Messiah and what he was going to do because he identifies him as a lamb, a sacrificial lamb. And this is near the time of the Passover. And he says, you know, the lambs are going to be brought into the temple, yes, but this is the lamb of God. This is the sacrificial lamb of God. And all of the other lambs, and we spoke about this last week, all the other lambs that you bring, they can never take away sin. They can cover. They can help us remember that we are sinners, but they, these lambs can never take away sin, but there is a sacrificial lamb. And this is him. This is the Messiah, and he is the only one who can take away the sin of the world. And so over and over again, John has been preaching this, and he's been giving a very full explanation of the identity of Jesus Christ as in, in connection with the Old Testament sacrificial system. And so these men, John and Andrew, had heard these, this, these messages, and they had believed, and they were receptive to John the Baptist's preaching, and they had come to repent. They were repenting of what? Of their sinfulness. They were being honest with God about themselves, and they were looking to receive the one who would be the sacrifice for their sins. But they have a lot of questions. They have a lot of questions, and so they come to Jesus, they're following, and Jesus turns around and says, What seek ye? And they give a wonderful answer. Do you see it there in verse 38? They say, Rabbi. The word rabbi was a common expression in those days for teacher or master. Now, they've been following John the Baptist. He's been their teacher. But now, John the Baptist has said, Behold, there's the Lamb of God that takes away. You need to follow him. And so they begin to follow him, but they have, this is the first time they've ever met him. He says, Can I help you with something? What are you looking for? And they say, Rabbi, which was a very honorable expression, and they were saying, Master, teacher. And they say, We want to know where, you, where, where, are, you, where are you living, where are you dwelling? We want to follow you, which really what they were saying was we, we have a lot of questions we have to ask. There are a lot of questions. These were students of the Old Testament. I want you to know that. These men had studied. They had listened to John the Baptist. They were, they were students of the Old Testament, and, they, and they've been looking for the Messiah, and here he is, and they've got a lot of questions. And we want to sit at your feet. We want to hear you teach us. We want to learn of you. We want to know who you are. We want to know if you're truly the one. But they're following him. So they give them this honor and this respect. And really what they're saying is we we, we can't cover everything that's on our minds here. We really need to get you to a place where we can sit down so we can have a conversation with you. And they show them this great honor and this great respect. And they're saying, you're our teacher now. We want to learn of you. And, and I want to tell you something here about John and Andrew here. These first, they would later become disciples of Jesus Christ about a year and a half later. And about three years later, they would become apostles. But they were not apostles yet. And, and I will tell you, they were not disciples yet. They were not followers of Jesus just yet. This was the very first day. This was the day that they were introduced to him. Can you remember the day when, when, when you met the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? You were not a disciple of Jesus at that point. You had just met him. You had just come to the understanding that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that he died for you, and that he was buried, and he he rose again the third day. You you knew very little about the Word of God. You know very little about the Lord Jesus Christ. But that day, 
you believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, that day of your salvation was not a day of discipleship. You were not a follower of Christ or a learner of him. That had to come with time. After your salvation, you began to learn of him and learn of him more and more, and you have continued to follow him. And there are many in this room this morning, morning that you are genuine, true disciples, learners of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, of course, these men, another three years after this day, they would become apostles. They were just beginning to examine Jesus. Look at verse number 39. And notice that they stayed with Jesus all the day long. And, and what my point is here, again, they, they had been seeking the truth. And there is a soul that is seeking truth. Look at verse 39. He saith unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day. For the whole day they sat and Jesus taught. And he answered questions that they would have asked for it was about the 10th hour. So from 10 a.m. throughout the entire day, John and Andrew go with Jesus to where he was living and they just ask question after question after question. He would have answered question. And he would have made clear things. Can you imagine what that would have been like? What do I, 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 that would be some, I can think of a few questions I might ask. And what a, wonderful, what, a, what, a, what a wonderful experience that must have been for these two men who were genuinely seeking the Messiah to finally have found him. The Lamb of God. God in human flesh. He had a lot more answers than they had questions, I'll tell you that. And they would have just sat there and they just would have listened. And, and the truth that he would have been speaking would have come to light in their hearts. But these men were searching, they were seeking, and they stayed with Jesus all day long. Uh, they wanted to know for sure, and I can say this, they wanted to know for sure that the testimony of John the Baptist was true. You know, you ought to search out the scriptures yourself. You, you ought to be a student of the Word of God yourself. You ought to, to identify whether things that are said are true or false. Look at verse 45. Now, verse 45, later on, we'll see this. It says, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And you see how Philip later tells Nathanael, We have found him. And so, what does that tell us? If they had found him, it was some... When we say, when my children, when we're playing hide-and-seek, when they find someone, I, I found you, I, because they were seeking for him. Right? My children are looking, they're searching, and then they, when they find that person, they're, they're all excited. Well, Philip tells Nathaniel, we have found him. Why? Because they had been searching for him. They've been seeking for him. They've been looking for him. So, so I, I can't help but see, but... These men were seeking for the Messiah. In verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him. Now, Nathanael's response to Philip was, does any good thing come out of... Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. In other words, you got this wrong. This can't be true. He was a bit pessimistic in his mind initially to Philip's testimony to him. But nonetheless, Nathanael was seeking the Messiah. And so what does he do? He comes because he wants to see if this is the one. These men were seeking... These men were seeking. Jeremiah 29 and verse 13 says, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. I, I ponder, I think about us as a church this morning, and I wonder, 
Could, could that be used as a description for us? That are we the kind of people who are searching for truth with all of our hearts? Are we looking are we looking for the truth? Are we searching for it? Are we seeking after it? A couple of thoughts about this idea of these souls that are seeking the truth. People begin to seek only when they understand their own hopeless condition. As long as a person finds confidence in themselves or in their situation, they're not going to search for the truth because they themselves are their own salvation. I can, I can get it done. I can do what I need to do on this. I, I've got everything I need. I don't need anything else. What, I, what self, I don't need anybody to save me. Why? Because I'm self-sufficient. So a soul who's seeking for truth only begins to seek for it when they begin to see that there is something that they need. There's something they do not have, that they desperately need. Also, I notice that people continue to seek only as they continue to repent. If you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you had to repent. You had to change. Your, your thinking had to change from one of self-dependence to, I don't have anything in me that's good enough to save my soul. Jesus Christ can save my soul. That's a change of mind, a change of thinking at that moment. And as those of us who are born again, we have to continue down that path of, I'm not going to put confidence in myself. I'm not going to live, I'm not just going to create a bunch of standards for myself and meet those standards and then say, hey, look at me, I'm such a great person. No, there has to be a continual attitude of repentance, of rejecting self-dependence and living in God-dependence, living upon the Lord Jesus Christ and his strength. And so people continue to seek the truth only as they repent. And then, thirdly, I notice people seek and find the truth. They find the truth only as they receive the message from God's Word. You will never find the truth if you will not receive the truth of the Word of God. You can look for your whole life for the truth. And you will never find it. You will find man's opinion. One pastor told me once, and pardon the statement, but one pastor told me once, uh, opinions are like armpits. Everybody has at least two, and they both stink. So pardon the expression. It stuck with me, though, and sadly it will now to you as well. But you know what? There's some truth in that. Everybody's got opinions. And sometimes, you know, I can be talking to one person, and I can say, well, I don't know, I think it's this way. And then we talk about it, and then I can talk to somebody else, and they, they kind of persuade me to something else. Next thing you know, I go back to this person, and they, say, I, and they say, well, I thought you believed this, or I thought you were saying this about that football team. Well, I don't know. You know, I think it's more like this now. My opinion has changed. You know, opinions can change. The truth does not change. The truth does not change. John chapter 8 and verse 31 says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word... Then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It is the truth of the word of God. If ye shall continue in my word. Do you know that not everybody does continue in the word of God? Maybe this morning where you sit, you have been walking in the truth of the word of God. And I praise God for that, and I rejoice 
with you about what God's doing in your life as you've been walking in the Word of God and receiving, continuing to receive the Word of God. That is wonderful. That is glorious. But I've got to warn you, not everybody continues in the Word of God. And you're going to have to make a choice. Are you going to continue in the Word of God, or are you going to go only so far and then stop? Make a choice. These men, John and Andrew, would make that choice, and they would continue in the Word of God. So I noticed, first of all, that there was a soul seeking for truth. Secondly, I noticed in our text that there is a Savior seeking souls. There is a Savior seeking souls. And, and it really is Jesus who initiates things with John and Andrew. Look again at verse 38, the middle part. Jesus turns around to these seeking souls, and he asks them the question, What seek ye? Have you ever been in the store, and you're looking for... I love Gilroy's got it. Because they, they don't always got it, but they know if they don't got it. Do you know what I mean? They do. They know if they don't got it. And you can, go, you can walk in there... And, and they're right there to help you. you know what I mean, I'm kind of a self-help kind of person, you know. I'll find it myself. Uh, as we grow older, we grow wiser. We just ask for help earlier, right? So we, I, but I love going in there and, and can I help you? And yes, I'm looking for this. And they can take me every time right where I need to go. Now, you pay a little bit more for that, right? Sometimes. But if you go into another store, they don't know if they got it. Or not, sometimes. I don't need to go. That's a rant. Okay, I could go off on that. But that's kind of what happens here. These men are seeking. They're looking, not for a nut or a bolt. They're looking for the Messiah. And they believe they found him. John the Baptist has identified them for him and said, This is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And so they're kind of following at a distance. And Jesus initiates this uh, interaction with these two men, John and Andrew. And he turns around and he says, What seek ye? In verse number 39, look at the beginning part. He says to them, come and see. What a wonderful, gracious invitation on the part of the Messiah, God in human flesh, to these two men. Come, come and see. Sure, you can take a day of my time. This was the purpose for which Jesus had come into the earth. Because he was seeking them. And you know this gracious invitation is still offered today. In Matthew chapter 11, in verse 28, Jesus says, said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The invitation is still given. Jesus beheld, the Bible says. He beheld Simon. Look there, down in verse 42, and he And he, Andrew, brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, when he beheld Simon, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Uh, Simon would have been named for Simeon, an Old Testament Hebrew name, Simeon. And in Genesis 49, in verse 5, Simeon and Levi, it says, are brethren. Instruments, this is what it says of Simeon, instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. How would you like to be called an instrument of cruelty? Not a compliment. And why were they called that? Well, listen to what it says in Genesis 49, verse 7, the beginning part, about Simeon and and Levi. Cursed be their anger. This is why they were instruments of cruelty. Cursed be their anger, 
for it was fierce. Their anger was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. And Simon, Peter, was named for Simeon. Not an accident. And the Bible says in verse 42 that when Andrew brought his brother, Simon Peter, to Jesus, Jesus beheld him. He looked at him, and he saw everything about Simon Peter. Everything. And Jesus said, Thou art Simon, but I'm going to call you Cephas. I'm going to call you a stone, rock-like, dependable. Not the, vo- not the volatile, angry, probably bitter, upset man that you are now. Jesus looks at you and me, and he beholds us too. And he did the day that we were saved. And before that, he looked and he saw into the depths of our soul and he knew everything there was to know about us, every wicked and vile thing about us. And the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to know, is a seeking Savior. And when I look at this passage, I can't help but see it. He looked into the soul of Peter and he says, I know who you are. I know who you are, Simon. He would have been vindictive. Simon would have been hot-tempered, violent. And Jesus predicts a change. He says in that verse, verse 42, Thou art Simon, but thou shalt be called Cephas. Someone who's, who used to be volatile, but who's now going to be stable. Someone who used to be so angry and so bitter and so full of wrath, you've blown apart every possible human relationship that ever has come into your life. And I'm going to make you like a rock. Not the rock, not the cornerstone rock. But this isn't a pebble he's talking about either. And the Lord Jesus Christ is a seeking Savior. Look at verses 43 and 44. We see it, him seeking Philip, verses 43 and 44. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip. Notice how he's going and he's finding. And he saith unto him, follow me. There's the invitation. Now, Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So these guys are all fishermen. They're all the same area. They're along the shore of Galilee. This is what they would have done for a living. They would have known each other. Um, Some of them were related, as we see. Some of them are friends. They've been listening to the preaching of John the Baptist about sin and repenting of sin and preparing for the coming Messiah. They are seekers of the truth. But they're not going to find the truth unless there's a Savior seeking them. And there is, and he is seeking them. And so Jesus says to Philip, follow me. And then look down to verse 47, the beginning part. Jesus saw Nathanael coming unto him. And the idea there is that Jesus was looking for Nathanael to come unto him. And over and over again throughout this passage, I can't help but noticing that there is a Savior who is seeking the salvation of souls. So Jesus Christ was looking for Nathanael. He was looking for you. Before you trusted and believed upon him, he was looking for you. He was seeking you. He was seeking me. And this particular day, he was seeking these men. And he came to earth knowing who he was seeking. 
You know, before you and I were saved, when we were still dead in our sins and trespasses, living as rebels against the holy God, Jesus Christ was seeking us. He was seeking you. His love for you was so great and so deep and so vast. Well, well, some, and maybe there's even someone in the room this morning and you still kick against the Lord and you're still rebelling against him. And I, I want to tell you, the Lord Jesus Christ is seeking you. And he loves you so very, very deeply that he was willing to give his own life. He, Jesus Christ, who was and is holy God, was willing to take your sins and my sins upon his body and pay the price for our sin on that cross. And he's not, he was not, and nor is he some sort of weak um, man who is a figment of someone's imagination. He is, as we have seen in this, this account of the gospel, he is the living word. He is eternal, eternal in the past, eternal in the future. It doesn't need to be said. He is eternal both ways. He is the creator of all things. He is all-powerful. And he will someday rule and reign for all of eternity. Why would he seek you and me? That is the good question. What could he possibly gain? Except it is in his character, it is who he is. He is love. And while he is holy and he will judge sin, he is also love. And so he has made a way of escape for you and for me and for all of us from our sin through himself. He was willing to die for you and for me. Jesus was looking for Nathanael to come to him. And he's looking for you now. Luke 19 and verse 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came. Why does a fireman... Why does a fireman risk his life to go to a fire and go into a building to pull someone out? Why why do law enforcement officers put themselves in positions of danger to, to help a husband and a wife who are quarreling? Or maybe to protect a certain... Uh, a person from someone else who's trying to do them harm. Why would they do that? They exist for one purpose, and that is to seek and to save those who are in danger and those who are in peril. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. John 10.10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's one extreme. And Jesus says, On the other hand, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. John 12 and verse 46 says, Jesus said, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, the Apostle Paul said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom... I am chief, Paul said. I am the chief of all the sinners. And I can stand before you this morning and I can say, I, I, me, I deserve death and hell for all of eternity for the sins I have committed. That is what I deserve. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that I could be saved. 
and he's done that for you. And I want you to see in this passage, throughout this passage, I see that there's a seeking Savior, a Savior who is seeking to save souls of men. Pardon me. I'm getting a little scratchy. So there, and I want to say this, there would be no possibility at all for a person to be seeking a Savior or seeking the truth if there was not a Savior seeking for the salvation of that soul. Okay. Very, very important. First Timothy 2.4 says that God, who will have all men to be saved, that's his desire, that all men would be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We have a seeking Savior. I see him here in this passage. And thirdly and finally, I see that there are saints seeking souls. Now, there's a lot of S's going along in this message, and I know that. I actually pulled some of them out. I had, I had more S's than this, even. There's a soul. There are souls seeking for the truth. See, I had that with Savior instead of truth. There are souls seeking for the truth. There's a Savior seeking souls. And there are saints seeking souls as well. And by the way, that should make total sense to you and to me. If Christ lives within us, we who are saved, which he does by his Holy Spirit, has the Savior stopped seeking souls today? No. He's still seeking souls today. And if he lives within us, do you think that somehow, just because he lives within us, that he no longer has a will or desire? Of course not. He still does. From within us, the Spirit of God, the Lord Jesus Christ living within us, is still seeking souls today. And really what we all, as believers ought to do is say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. God, may your, may your will become my will. As fervently as you long to see souls saved, God, may that be my desire as well. Lord Jesus Christ, I surrender my life to you. Use me to seek souls. Because I see in this passage there are saints seeking souls. You see, those who have truly found the Messiah seek souls. Those who have truly found him want others to find him too. And today, we can't bring people to Jesus the very same way that Andrew brought Peter, his brother, or Philip brought Nathaniel, his friend, because Jesus is no longer on this earth in his physical body. But we do have his body as a local assembly of believers, don't we? Should we not bring those who we love to the one who has saved us? I want you to look with me over to Romans chapter 10 for just a moment. Romans chapter 10. We'll come back to John in just a moment. Romans chapter 10. I'm going to read a passage to you from Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse number 13. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 13. I've never been so happy that there's a guest speaker tonight with my throat the way it feels right now. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. I'll read down to verse number 17. Because while we can't bring people to a physical body in the sense of Jesus in his physical body, we can bring him, we can bring people to the pages of Scripture, the written word. So look here, Romans chapter 10, verse number 13. I'll read down through verse 17. It says this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful truth? 
If you have a grandchild and they're not saved, your heart ought to rejoice in this verse. If you have a neighbor who your soul is burdened for, you ought to rejoice in this verse. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse number 14 presents a challenge, though. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? No one's going to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ if they don't believe that he is the Christ, right? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? That's a preacher is just a mouthpiece. Verse 15. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And he's not talking about men who are pastors or evangelists by vocation. He's talking about God's people preaching the death of Christ and the burial of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. He's talking about people who have witnessed the salvation of God in their own lives and are saying, I've found the Messiah. I have found the one who can forgive you of your sin. I, I have found the one who can take you who are broken in your sin and helpless in your sin. I have found the one who can make you whole again. I have found the one who's prepared a place. I found that person. Look at verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? Not everybody believes it. Then he says in verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It's so important. So important to be under the word of God. Why? Because faith, which pleases God, comes by hearing the word of God. And then salvation, of course, by that. Look back to John chapter 1 in our text as we finish up this morning. I want to have a few observations here as we look at these saints who are seeking souls. So we noticed in in verse 29 and then in verses 36 and 37, we saw that John the Baptist was leading his followers to follow Jesus. But I want to make a, a simple observation here. John the Baptist only led his followers to follow Jesus after he knew for sure that Jesus was the Messiah. You see, a mark of someone who does, isn't exactly sure that Jesus is the Messiah or not is that they don't point other people to him. Why would they? They're, they themselves are not convinced in their heart. But someone who believes they have found the truth in the Lord Jesus Christ will point the people that they love to that person, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because they are convinced in their heart. And John the Baptist did that. I also see the same thing again in in the life of Andrew. Andrew, it says, finding his own brother and bringing Peter to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 41. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And again, but only after he himself was convinced Remember, he spent a day with Jesus, listening to Jesus. And after that, when he was convinced, Jesus Christ, this is God in human flesh. This is the Messiah. And what does he do? He goes out to the person that he loves, his brother, and says, we found the Messiah. Come and see him. And then, and then I noticed also Philip and Nathaniel in verses 45 and 46. The Bible says that after Jesus had found Philip, Philip went out and found Nathaniel. Look there in verse 45. And Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, 
We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? I mean, really, Philip. And Philip saith unto him, Come and see. And you know what? By the way, that's a wonderful example of what to do when you tell somebody, I found the promised one. I found God. I found him, and he loves you and me, and he died for you and for me to save us from our sins. And they say, oh, yeah, well, and they throw out a, what about this? And you could say, why don't you come and see for yourself? Why don't you look and read the Gospel of John for yourself? Why don't you read, look into the, the, the Word yourself? Come and see. You know, unless lest we be too hard on Nathaniel here. And he would have been a student of the Old Testament, by the way. He would have believed that the Messiah was to be in the line of David. Nathaniel uh, would have believed that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem and born of a virgin, a sojourner in Egypt for a time. Nathaniel would have understood those things. He would have believed all those things. And uh, Jesus met all of the, those qualifications. But Nathaniel scoffed at the idea that he was of Nazareth of Nazareth. And so he says it, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And I want to tell you, Nazareth had a reputation in those days. This is where Jesus was from. This is where he would have grown up. It was, had a reputation for being a caravan town because of its proximity to the Gentile cities. It, it had a mixture of Gentile population, which would mean to us only that it was worldly. Okay? It, was, it had backwards manners. The the, some of the scholars that I've read on the topic, they talk about how backwards Nazareth was. And by the way, that rejoices my heart that Jesus came out of Nazareth because I think, hey, that's great. You know, I have some spe- speaking peculiarities. I say some unique things from time to time. Uh, you know, I was born in the Upper Peninsula. So uh, anyway, it had some backward manners. Nazareth was biblically illiterate for the most part. They weren't scholars. This was not really a white-collar type of town. There was a lack of education. There was a lack of sophistication in Nazareth. And they were known for their coarseness in language. Coarse language. This is where Jesus was from, Nazareth. You know, the people of Judea held that the people of Galilee in very low esteem. Nathaniel was from Galilee, but he was from Cana, about five miles away from Nazareth. And you can almost get this sense of there's a little bit of rivalry there, you know. They're, they're close, too close almost. And there's like, does any, has, there any, ever, has ever anything ever come good out of Nazareth? You know, like, that can't be, that cannot be. Um, but before we're, we feel too sorry for the population of Nazareth, we should also remind, be reminded of their, they lived up to their reputation, Nazareth was the very first city to violently reject Jesus, and they were ready to put him to death after just one day of his teaching. So before we feel too sorry for Nazareth, like all those poor people, no, no, they lived up to their reputation. I mean, this is where he was from, and they wanted to kill him because he spoke the truth. They hated him for it. The Bible also tells us that Jesus' ministry was greatly hindered in Nazareth because of their rejection of him. And then look at verse 47 and following, and we'll close. It says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming unto him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. And the word guile means trickery or deceit. 
or dishonesty has the idea of a word of the word decoy. Ever hunt ducks? Most of you haven't put out decoys because you want to trick the ducks into coming in because there's something good to eat there. There's really not anything good to eat there for them. It's just then they're close enough to shoot. It's complete trickery. Decoy. Um, and Jesus looks at Nathaniel as he comes to him and he says, Behold, here's an Israelite in whom is no trickery or no guile. Uh, some have said you could say it this way, Behold, here's an Israelite in whom is no Jacob. Remember Jacob in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis? Well, he was a trickster. His name means it. Trickster. He was dishonest. He tricked his brother out of his inheritance. He tricked his father into giving him his brother's inheritance. He was dishonest. He was disingenuous. He was not loyal to anybody but himself. He was a liar and a fraud. That's what he was. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then Jacob had an encounter with God. Not long after he had tricked and lied to his father and his brother, he had an encounter with God. And he laid there and he had a dream. And in his dream, there was a ladder that stretched down from heaven and there were angels ascending and descending. And God spoke to Jacob in his dream and he basically told Jacob, he reiterated to Jacob how God knew who Jacob was. He knew the trials Jacob was going through and that God had not forgotten Jacob. He had not forgotten his promise to his grandfather, Abraham. And that God still had plans for the nation of Israel and God was going to make good in those plans and that God was going to change Jacob's name from Jacob, which means trickster, to Israel. Now, I don't know what Nathaniel was thinking about on this particular day, but I think this passage actually gives us some insight into what, what Nathaniel had been thinking about because Christ greets him in this kind of an odd way. Behold an Israelite in whom is no guile, And Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Or how do you know what I'm thinking about? Is what he's saying. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Now the fig tree, as I mentioned earlier, was kind of a place where people would get alone to meditate, to study, and to contemplate things. Apparently that's what Nathanael had been doing, even earlier that day, perhaps. And Jesus looks at him and he says, I know what you're thinking. In fact, not just now, but I know what you were thinking earlier when you were under the fig tree. And it kind of tells me that this is what Nathaniel had been thinking about. Maybe Nathaniel was even thinking how God could be so merciful to a trickster and an ungodly liar like Jacob. When he was so upstanding, and he was an honest man, he was not a trickster. He was not a man of guile. And Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. He was overwhelmed by the fact that God knew him. Thou art the King of Israel, Nathanael says. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, all this is in this one context. I don't know for sure what Nathaniel was thinking about, but I think it had something to do about Jacob and that ladder. And really what Jesus was saying here at the end of this chapter in verse 51 was, there is a new mediator. There is a new connection. There is a new way between heaven and earth. There's a new ladder. And the ladder is me, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Nathaniel, if you'll follow me, you will see greater things than you've seen already.
And throughout this book, as we study this book, there are great things, one after another, that we see upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me, let me close with this. Are you a witness of the salvation of God? Are you seeking the truth? Have you received the Savior who is seeking you? Are you seeking to bring others to the Lord Jesus Christ? And I'm reminded back to verses 36 and 37, and really verse 37, where John the Baptist spoke, and his disciples heard him speak. And those words that I will not soon forget, they heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Boy, that is my goal. They heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. May that be our prayer. May that, may that be our goal. You know, every one of us in this room has tremendous influence upon others with our words and with our lives. And the question is really this. Are we living our lives in such a way, are we speaking the words in such, that we ought to speak that would lead others to the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't know where you are here today. Maybe there's some and you need to be saved. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Trust him for your salvation. For many of us this morning, it's as simple as, Lord, I want to speak the things that are true so others will follow Jesus Christ. Let's all stand together and we'll close with a word of prayer this morning.